Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. From the book of Job, he reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into the light. This is my friend Amanda. Amanda is a truth seeker, kingdom builder, and change maker. She loves hard and with conviction, speaks with authority, and is always working to light up the darkness wherever she finds it. Amanda! Yes, Allison. I'm so glad you're here. Me too. Thank you so much. Look at us just carving time out of busy holidays. So thankful. Talk about important things. Um, Okay, so you and I met at a retreat. And this retreat in particular... There's something about the environment of it. It's about radical acceptance, Mm -hmm. radical acceptance of ourselves, but also radical acceptance of each other. And then I think we live in a town where there are very talented people. I mean, you really really can't turn a corner without Mm -hmm. running into someone who is on a mission, man. Yes, Yes, it's true. (laughs) In really godly ways, you know, just really talented people that are ambitious for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so I think the combat, and and in that way, that we live in this little garden of a town. Um, I think we spur one another on very well, like as a town culture. And, and I, that's probably unusual, right? But between the, um, the two things of this retreat where we are radically accepting ourselves and each other, Mm -hmm. and we live in a town culture that we really work to spur one another on. There was something about those two things being in place when you and I met that it was like, here you are, you are wise. You spoke with authority. Mm -hmm. And you were very confident, and yet you were very warm and loving. And then I hear that you're a lawyer, and I'm like, well, that seems like a really solid life choice. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all of that. I mean, that made so much sense for you, just Mm -hmm. the tiny little bit. I didn't know you that well. But I think also being in that environment and that lovely living room session, go, you guys, Mm -hmm. if you apply, um, if you have not already. But there's something about being in that environment that I think did allow us to see things a little more clearly. In that moment. And so I just felt like we were all seeing each other really clearly. And when Mm -hmm. I heard about what you did, I was like, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all things in alignment. Yes. I loved that moment. I actually (laughs) remember getting to pray with you and be there and even just praying for your voice and Mm -hmm. your message Mm -hmm. and just... I knew you were doing some of the podcast things and just really felt the authority of the Lord over your life and your voice to really rise up and and speak, you you know, power and freedom and healing and your message. And so I'm grateful to even be a part of this podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. Okay. So we are here to talk about sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. Is is it trafficking in general? Is it sex trafficking? I want to know. I really would like to start from the beginning to know how in the world you ended up here um, with such a powerful voice on this issue. Um, Because you're just doing amazing things in our community. And yeah. Yeah. So so when we talk, yeah, when we talk about human trafficking, we talk about human trafficking. And then there's two separate distinctions under there. We talk about the sex trafficking and the labor trafficking. And so those are 
they're similar in form. You need the similar types of force, fraud, or coercion with both of them, but the, the actual result is either some sort of force, fraud, or coercion that ends up in some sort of exchange for sex or some sort of exchange for labor. Sure. And so that's the distinction between the two. Okay. Um, we work with both. We educate and empower communities to help identify both, but we see and focus a lot on the sex trafficking issue, especially in the central Texas area in our community because we see so much of it. Um, and so we talk a lot about sex trafficking, not to minimize the labor trafficking by any means, but it's just sure. where we see more of that um, issue in our community. Absolutely. Okay. So how did you become passionate on this topic? How did you become knowledgeable about this topic? How, how did you get here? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a good question. You're always surprised <laughs> at what the Lord is going to do. Um, this, you know, I actually, so when I grew up, um, I didn't know this at the time, but my very first exposure to sort of advocating for the vulnerable, the exploited, was we lived next to a family with a young boy who was the same age as me and really troubled home, um, was adopted at birth as a fetal alcohol syndrome um, baby. He was His adoptive mom actually ended up passing away when we were seven, mm. and dad was just rough and, and mm. not, not really able to care for him. And so just naturally, my family just welcomed him in. We didn't go through any foster agency. We didn't go through any adoptive wow. agency, any, um, we didn't do any legal binding yeah. agreement. Right. We just brought him in and he <gasps> lived with us and we had a place for him. He sat at our table, he had a room and he was a friend of mine. And, um, we moved, ended up moving across the town, um, into a different home as we grew up. And, he ended up actually moving in with us across town and all the way through high school. And so I, I really never knew until now that looking back that that was really the Lord's first exposure of just loving and Did advocating. you know how unusual that was at the time? I had no idea. Yeah. You know, it was just, it, and, and now I give so much credit to my parents. Yeah. I mean, they really instilled such an incredible value in me at such a young age of, that you didn't even second guess it. It was like uh-huh. he was part of the family, huh. you know, and there was no governmental, you know, payment subsidies and legal arrangements. It was just like, he's in, yeah. you know, and we're going to love him and care for him. And he's part of the family. Yeah. And so ever since then, he's always been part of the family mm-hmm. still to this day. He's a I brother. interrupted you at the word advocate. You were talking mm-hmm. about, you can look back and see, um, what the Lord was doing. Yeah, so look now looking back, I didn't realize, but that was sort of the Lord's first assignment, if you will, or or opportunity mm. to start advocating for, you know, the vulnerable and the exploited. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, this individual was struggling, and there was many times just in the school settings, in friend settings, in different areas that. I really had a voice to advocate for him yeah. on his behalf. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was part of the family. Because um, y'all were peers. We were peers. So, yeah. yeah. And so now looking back, I, I realized that that was such a huge part of my story that wasn't really something I ever really acknowledged until later on in life when I looked back because wow. it was such a normal part. It yeah. was There was never a second, a second question mm-hmm. about that this was just how we do life. Um, and so fast forward... I felt like the Lord in college, um, I was, I was in some ministry. I had gone to Africa. I had seen some of the trafficking, um, but I had been working at an orphanage, but felt like God was calling me to law school and that was never on my radar. We don't have any lawyers in my family at all. Um, and it really wasn't something that I wanted to do particularly, but I really knew the Lord was, was wanting me to do that. And so trusting him late in my college career, I mean, I was already a senior in college 
and I went ahead and took the LSAT, applied. And it's just one of those things when you're in the will of God that he just orchestrates every piece. Goes before you. Yes. yes. And it was like, I was like, took the took the LSAT, applied, got early accepted into the University of Denver for law school, graduated in May and started in August. It was just one of those like God confirming every step of the way. And so to answer your question with this long answer, when I got into law school, that's really when the Lord started talking to me about the issues of um, exploitation, human trafficking, family law, child welfare, sort of this conglomeration of all centered in the devaluing of human life, the mm-hmm. vulnerabilities of humans, the exploitations and and the manipulations and control over those exploitations of individuals mm-hmm. that got me into believing and, and feeling like the Lord was leading me to use my degree in those areas. Yeah. And so I distinctly remember the Lord telling me one time that um, he was saying, Amanda, that if you trace back all of the brokenness that you see in our world today, it starts somewhere in the core or the nexus of the family, the mm. family unit. Mm. Um, and so he was like, I need an advocate. I need somebody to go in there <laughs> into those broken places and bring the presence of God because we know anything that's exposed to the presence of God is subject to change. So Mm. you don't always have to know what to say. You don't always even have to know what to do, but be a carrier of my presence into this broken nucleus and help restore, rebuild, advocate. And so I started in family law. That is so powerful. And the thing about it is that it sounds so weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going in without a plan? Yeah. That sounds so completely vulnerable, and yet that's the most powerful thing because you are creating all of this space for the Lord to do what he does. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. that's amazing. And it's, and it's, but it's so his plan because if the enemy is coming to, to seek, kill, and destroy, you know, his, his whole method is to pull down and tear apart. Mm-hmm. And to divide. To divide. Yeah. And, and God's plan is love, which covers the multitude. To multiply. And, and multiply and yes. build back up. Yes. And so I felt like the Lord was saying, here's this degree. I'm giving it to you, but it's not your own. It's for the kingdom. And I want you to go in and I want you to build back up the broken places that have been torn down by the enemy. And so I started in family law and started specializing in child welfare, which comes into a whole nother journey. But the vulnerable youth and the child welfare overlap a lot. And that's where the trafficking piece really started to come in. Okay. Wow. So when you say we, because you're you're talking in we's, uh-huh. tell me about Unbound. Yes. So Unbound is a national and international organization that's fighting human trafficking through um, a variety of ways. Um, we're mobilizing communities and the church to really fight this issue through prevention and awareness, professional training, and survivor advocacy. And so we focus heavily on preventing this from ever happening in the first place um, because we know that the once you're in the life of trafficking, the ability to get out of it is very difficult. Okay. And so we also know that education and help in identifying victims allows communities to better uh-huh. serve victims and identify victims. Okay. And so we do a lot of trainings in the community. We do a lot of professional trainings with people who have some sort of specialized degree that would be interacting with the trafficking victims. So people in nursing, medical, you know, doctors, sure. lawyers, law enforcement. Even hair salons. Hair like salons, I see massage your, yeah. parlors, um, nail salons, all the things. Yeah. Um, and so we are educating our community to identify this, to say something, because you can't say something when you don't know what you're looking for. Sure. Okay, so 
I feel like I lived overseas Mm -hmm. and there would be times that I I would come back home and I would be bombarded or what felt like it by a new thing. Mm -hmm. It felt like there was like some new thing. Like I remember coming home and being like, who is Lindsay Lohan? (laughs) Where did this person come from? But I felt like I came home one summer and was like, what is trafficking? Like Mm -hmm. every, it felt like this buzzword. Everyone's using it. I don't Mm -hmm. even know what that means. And if I were to even try to guess what I think that means, Harrison for or is it Liam Neeson? I don't know. But mm-hmm. one of those, you know, famous tough guys comes to mind mm-hmm. and foreign countries come to mind and yeah. powerful gangsters come to mind. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's not that, but obviously if we're talking about the Brazos Valley and if we're talking about flyers and nail salons, this is something different than mm-hmm. what I think it is. Can we myth bust for yes. a minute? Yes. Because I have a feeling that it's not being done by whom. I think it's being done mm-hmm. by. I have a feeling it's not being done to whom I think it's being done by mm-hmm. or done to. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling it's not being done how mm-hmm. I think it's being done. So can do you mind if as as much detail as you're willing to to give us, can you just be really gritty about what is happening? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And I'm really glad you're asking that question because that is something we deal with all the time is this concept of, well, we have an idea of what human trafficking looks like and it's not happening here. But the reality of the situation is it is happening here. Unbound is serving victims who have been identified right here in Bryan College Station. And it's because a lot of what we look for and what we think is happening has been blown into this picture that media and culture portrays and that's not really what it looks like so what it you know in first for child sex trafficking what's so interesting about it and what's interesting for me as a as a legal professional as an attorney is that all you have to have to be a victim of sex trafficking is some sort of commercial sex act in exchange for something of value and you're a victim of sex trafficking. So you don't even need to prove force, fraud, or coercion or any of those other elemental crimes or elements that can be difficult to prove in a, in a criminal investigation. You just have to say, this child was engaged in sex for the exchange of something of value, so a roof over their head, food on their table, clothes on their back, mm-hmm. somebody to provide transportation for them, that child is a victim of sex trafficking. And yeah. so what... What we like to tell people is the victims are really not these international overseas people. They're the child in your school. They are your next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. They're the woman who works at the gas station. It's the checker at the grocery store. Um, People that you would never think would be a victim are actually right in front of you. Um, And the number one targeted population for sex trafficking is vulnerable youth. So there are certain vulnerabilities. We do know that trafficking traffickers do prey on the vulnerabilities of, of, of youth and, and things like poverty, substance abuse, sexual abuse as a child, um, all of these di- different vulnerabilities. But the reality of the situation is most of the time, the trafficker or the person who is actually exploiting the individual is somebody that they know very well. So it's either a family member, it's a friend, it's a cousin, it's an aunt, uncle, it's a teacher, it's somebody that they've already maintained a somewhat trusted relationship in the past with that has now since turned into manipulation, control, and coercion, and it's become a very volatile relationship. And so it starts in something that seems very normal and very typical 
of, of a typical relationship, but it ends up getting into more of a volatile relationship as the abuse gets introduced, the substance abuse gets introduced, the coercion, the control. And then what's difficult about it is the individual starts to feel complicit in the victimization Um, because it has felt consensual at times. It has felt like they were participating at times. It has felt like maybe they deserved some of the things that happened. And so this manipulative nature of this issue is so difficult because the victims now feel complicit and they don't identify as a victim. Hardly ever. Right. Self-identify. They don't self-identify as a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking this sounds like a really fuzzy blurred line between prostitution and mm-hmm. trafficking so mm-hmm. there are chosen lifestyles there are forced lifestyles mm-hmm. what's the difference and what do you have to teach us about that because i can see how it starts as manipulation and then becomes mm-hmm. a lifestyle what now i mean are we criminalizing yeah these people who are being trafficked yes and that's that is a fantastic question and that is one that i'm passionate about just as an attorney who represents women a lot of times on prostitution charges that are really victims and same with unbound i'm interviewing women in the jail consistently who are actually a victim of trafficking and we've actually worked with law enforcement the DA's office to actually drop prostitution charges release that individual and transport her to a safe home for rehabilitative care because they are a victim instead of a criminal Um, and so that is the beautiful picture of what Unbound is doing but I'm passionate about that because there is this gray area there is sort of sometimes there's this independent decision to engage in this type of behavior. But I guarantee you, and it's what we do when we talk to law enforcement and all these other partners that we work with, the manipulation and the control and the coercion started somewhere back in their early childhood. It started as abuse. And it's gone on and it's been, and it's just continued and continued. Nobody wants to go and be a prostitute. Nobody wants to prostitute themselves. That's Mm -hmm. never something they want to do. They're doing it out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, it's crushing, Mm -hmm. really. And I feel like our feelings about this, our overwhelming feelings about this, they're not doing us any good because we are avoiding it. We're trying to escape it and we're not leaning in when really our anger and our disgust, it can empower us, Mm -hmm. you know? So if we could just learn a little bit more, I'm curious about what we could be doing better. And I know that technology has a huge Mm -hmm. role in this. And so when I think of of the the ways that I could be more hypervigilant and in addition to the ways that... um, that you just mentioned. So I guess this is a little bit of a two-part question. I do want to get into technology with our own children, but also what are things that we should be looking for? We, when we go and educate and train, I mean, we talk a lot about the tactics of traffickers and how they prey on vulnerabilities. So one of the, one of the best ways to explain it is there was a study that was out um, several years ago and they asked convicted traffickers, you know, how would you keep your victims or how would you look for your victims? And they would, you know, they would say, you know, we would go to a place where there's vulnerable youth like the mall and we would walk past several young females and the ones that looked on the ground, we started engaging with. The ones who looked us in the eye and walked by, we knew that they had confidence and that they were carrying themselves and that we couldn't, you know, we would not be able to manipulate and control that as much. So they're already looking for the vulnerable, the less confident, the maybe who have already experienced some sort of trauma Mm -hmm. growing up. And then they also will talk about how they've 
they essentially become whatever that individual needs. Hmm. So if they needed, if they grew up in a home and there was not a stable home life and they didn't, they're, they're a runaway. They feel like they don't have anywhere to go. They became a home for that individual. They provide a home. They provide a loving relationship, loving care. Um, if they're needing, you know, if they want to just be told they're beautiful, if they want to feel affection for the first time. So anything that the individual needs, the, the pimp or the trafficker essentially becomes. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking for when we go and we train, it depends on who we're training. Um, but what we know, vulnerable youth are the number one targeted population. So we're asking, um, when we go and train in schools, because we got a, a grant from the governor's office, the child sex trafficking, to go and do youth prevention all over the state of Texas and all the school districts and, and anybody that works with vulnerable youth, we're asking them to really get into the life of the child and say, what you know, what's going on in home? Are is there abuse in the home? Is there substance abuse in the home? Are they coming with uh, you know these interesting marks or bruises? Are there types of tattoos that represent um, different? types of branding, um, by a trafficker. Um, is there, is there increase in tardiness? Is there a lot of coming and going? Um, you know, there is not one dispositive factor that makes somebody a trafficking victim, but you as a human being have an innate sense to just know something's off. Not quite right. Something is not quite right. And we always tell the teachers and and education and education and the staff at schools that they're really our frontline defense mm-hmm. because they're actually in this child's life day right. in and day just out by time and proximity. just by time and yeah. proximity and we actually have a story with unbound that there was a student so this the teacher actually came to an unbound training there was a student that she was concerned about she wasn't sure if she was being trafficked but it was a lot of red flags yeah. you know there's a rough home life was coming with some random bruising was running around with an older individual um lots of tardies consistently missing missing school and so she she didn't know but she took it upon herself and said one day and bought a prepaid phone for that student and said hey i don't know what's going on in your life as much as I'd like, but I know there's some things I'm concerned about. I want you to know that I'm a trusted resource and I bought a prepaid prepaid phone for you and it's got one number on it. It's mine. If you ever get in trouble, call me. Well, three months down the road, that student called that teacher and she's being trafficked. So she connected her back to Unbound and we were able to assist with that victim. And so it's, it's, it's just about relationship really, which is so amazing because that's, that's God's heart too. You know, it's, it's like, I always think about Hagar and, and her saying, you know, I have now seen the God who sees the God who sees me, you know? And so I really feel like when we're educating people, it's like, we're just educating people to see, to see, see people, see people for who they really are. Because when you really pull back all the layers and all the stigma and all the culture and all the all these things they're not just a troubled youth like there are multiple things that are going on Um, and so pulling back all those layers and really seeing somebody for who they are and all of the layers of what's happened over the course of their life helps you build this story of what is happening now wow um so um okay so so identifying vulnerable children which Mm -hmm. is probably most likely what about protecting our own kids yeah, so a lot of the training we do now is on um, social media, Yeah, which I'm sure you're aware of, but it's since the revolutionary um, development of social media and apps, we have seen just the trafficking world explode. Um, you just don't have any, no, you have no idea who you're talking to. Right. So the anonymity of somebody on the other side is just, it's just crazy. And so we educate in our school trainings just on certain apps to be 
aware of, to have very significant um, parental controls on phones, on computers, um, just being involved in your child's life, yeah. knowing who the friend circle is, who yeah. are they dating, who right. are they running around with, what are they doing? I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's surprising how not um, informed we can get on yeah. what our kids are doing. Do you have personal opinions on their privacy? I mean, like, we're, we're reading their texts, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. It's My tough. kids don't have phones. We've, you know, yes. we're doing good so far. Yes. I, I read this horrifying statistic that was like, if your kid has a, uh, has a smartphone, they have been targeted. Yeah. I was like, what? Yes. Well, here's what I will say. I, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put any type of thing on the privacy issue. I mean, I think that is up to the Lord and the parent <laughs> and the child. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to protect our kids. But mm-hmm. what I will say is there is one issue, the issue of pornography. Mm-hmm. So pornography is 100% driving the demand for trafficking. Right. Because right. trafficking is a supply and demand issue. And so the more that we are engaging and watching things that allow our brains to think that violent sex is okay and our kids grow up with this context of sex looking like what they see in pornography and it just totally warps we're not looking Um, at granddad's playboys anymore no we're looking at violent and children being used in pornography dark corners of the internet and so central texas actually leads this area and really the nation in what we call these john suppression stings where undercover cops will go and go to a hotel room and they'll engage with individuals to set up sex with minors. And our area, Central Texas, leads the nation in men and women showing up to hotel rooms to have sex with minors. So we're fostering this we're fostering this idea in community like, oh, it's okay to go and pay minors for sex. It's not. But where is that coming from? Almost 80 to 90% of sex buyers will tell you that their engagement in that act of having sex with a minor started with their addiction to pornography. Wow. And so, and traffickers know there's going to be buyers available to pay for sex with these individuals. So why not? Why wouldn't they get victims to exploit and bring buyers to pay? Because there's always going to be buyers who are willing to buy. And isn't that the, the, the biggest component of addiction is that you have to keep one-upping, one-upping, one-upping. Yep. So, so it started here, and so now we're actually in hotel rooms yeah. with minors. Just like a drug. The more you're using, the more, you're, the more you need, the higher hit the more powerful, mm-hmm. same with, the bigger risk with p- pornography. And so I will say with, with protecting our kids, a huge, 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 huge issue is the porn issue. Yeah. Educating our kids on pornography, making a safe space for them to talk about it. Well, and this really um, dictated a lot about how I went into conversations with sex with my two oldest was, I need you to know what it is before you could ever know what it isn't. Right. Because the truth of the matter is that it's, it's really not... Um, if you see something inappropriate online, it's really kind of when, because it can be accidental or, you know, and so really teaching them to, to understand what it is so that they can say, that's not it. Roll and scroll. Right. You know? Um, and, and that requires obviously a certain amount of discipline. And I think that parents can be really naive about the private lives of their, their kids. Um, so I I agree with you that Mm -hmm. that's one way that we need to be super hyper vigilant. What Mm -hmm. are other ways that we can be protecting Um, our own kids? I do think monitoring of social media. I mean, I think that's important. I don't, I don't think you need to be 
reading every text, but I mean, I, I no phones at night, no computers mm-hmm. at night. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, having some sort of parental controls are important because at this day and age, it doesn't even matter if it's an innocent. I mean, Facebook, Instagram, all of those have led to trafficking victims. Yeah. You just don't know. Well, and even the apps, like, isn't game? I don't. We don't. We're not a big. <laughs> tech family but like even gaming because mm-hmm. you're communicating with people who are playing a game with you right right and so yeah that person can you could think they're a kid mm-hmm. they could maybe stage a meetup i yep. mean yeah is this am these i making are, things up things this that happen yeah. yeah and and it's not always it's not always um just social engagement i mean we've had we've worked with victims who have actually responded to a modeling ad online oh sure you know a, you know yeah. false job you yeah. know thought they were going to go or maybe yeah. even a waitress they they responded to the ad online. They went for the interview. They were raped. They take pictures, you know, and and so just you know it it can happen that way. And so it, it is a problem. And so so what? So you said two things that were surprising to me a second ago. One of them is that Central Texas leads the nation. Mm-hmm. That's shocking because mm-hmm. I think that you hear. Um, trafficking and you think big cities, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. I know that we're between three big cities, mm-hmm. but so I'd like to talk about, um, our location mm-hmm. for number one, but then number two, maybe this is a myth bus. There are young men being trafficked as well. Yes. Okay. So yes. which do you want to talk about first? <laughs> so our location, I can talk about location. So, um, what's very interesting. So we live in what they call the Texas triangle, which connects okay. Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's unbound. Uh huh. And so that Texas triangle is actually one of the most heavily trafficked areas in the United States. Um, I mean, if you know, all the studies will show you know, Texas ranks number two in the calls into the National Human Trafficking Hotline of all the states in the entire United States. We're ranked number two. I-10 is the most heavily trafficked highway in the entire United States, connecting coast to coast. And then, of course, we live in this triangle right in the middle, which is one of the most heavily trafficked areas in the United States. And so, of course, we have trafficking here. Mm -hmm. Um, It may not be originating here, but or it could be. I mean, I don't I'm not going to say that, but regardless, we are having trafficking victims come in and out of this area all the time. Okay. Um, and it has to do with our location. It has to do with the proximity to the major cities. It has to deal with, um, a lot of different factors, but that is something that is seriously concerning. I mean, the university of Texas did the study and found that, um, 313,000 victims of human trafficking just in Texas alone mm-hmm. and 89,000 of them were youth and minor. Gosh. Um, that's a huge number. Yeah. Um, and so it is happening. It is happening in our area. Um, and so, you know, the, that the location issue is, is a problem. And then the second part of the question mm-hmm. was boys, boys, um, boys are hugely, um, underrepresented in our identification. They, they, it tends to be more stigma associated with the boy population when it comes to sex trafficking. Um, there's less resources. Um, there's less of, a lot of times we see an increase in survival sex for males. So we see an example of a, a boy is identifying with, um, you know, the LGBTQ. And so there's stigma at home. He gets kicked out. He's on the street and he's surviving. And so he's doing it on his own, Hmm. but not really. Hmm. Um, you know, Hmm. he's actually like 
having sex to survive. Again, back to you and your desire for family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back to, you know, struggle in the home Mm -hmm. or bullying because of identification Mm -hmm. with the other sex or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But traffickers are also smart. They use something called um, recruiters, and recruiters actually build relationships with victims and bring them back into kind of the fold with the trafficker. And they're smart. I mean, they'll send a female to befriend another female and that recruiter actually, you know, befriends the female, shows her the ropes, kind of gets to know her, sort of builds this relationship. And then that individual trusts this other female friend to go back to the trafficker because they know, I mean, we're relationship, relational people. We yeah. want, we want relationship. And so they know they're going to connect more with a female than right. them. Right. So why not send a female to befriend become in their corner sort of somebody that they trust and, and want to be around and enjoy being around and then have that individual bring them back um, into right. the trafficking. Wow. So, um, But to answer your question on boys, it is happening and increasing very, very, very rapidly. And we actually just had our first conviction in McLennan County. Um, a former Army sergeant was convicted of trafficking two teen boys, sentenced to 180 years. Um, and Unbound actually helped on that case. Wow. Wow. So um, let's transition to Unbound. How mm-hmm. did you, you had this stirring in your heart. You mm-hmm. are smart and convicted and ambitious. Mm-hmm. How did you know that it was time to go? Like when, when God gave you this stirring and you're sensitive to the spirit and mm-hmm. following holy nudges, mm-hmm. how did you know it was time to go and do this and make it happen? Well, that's a complicated question um, because actually how I first found out about Unbound was about seven years ago, and we didn't actually end up starting Unbound here in Bryan Claw Station until two years ago. So there was a five-year wait on starting. Um, And how I actually landed to learn about Unbound was I was living in Colorado, going to law school at the University of Denver, graduated, got a a job at a law firm in Denver, and was totally okay with everything that was going on in life, but I was so hungry for more of God and believed that there was so much more that He had for me. And so I went on this sort of six-month radical journey with the Lord Hmm. of just surrendering everything because he was like, if you really want to find me, if you really want everything that I have, I need you to give up everything that you think you have. Um, and I need you to give up everything that's comfortable. So I, I heard him telling me that I needed to move to Texas and I had, you know, I had taken the Colorado bar exam. I had gotten a job at a law firm in Denver. My family lived in, in the area. I was, um, you know, dating somebody, my, now my husband who had moved to Colorado to be closer to me. Um, we had a church home, we had a church family. And so basically I was like, that is quite an interruption. I, I was like, <laughs> I'm so hungry for you. I'll, I don't care. I will do whatever I will give up everything. And so I actually moved to Texas seven years ago, back to Texas seven years ago. And I didn't even have a place to live the night before I moved. Um, but I was like, I quit my job. Um, I, Left, I left my family, left our church, um, left everything, and really couldn't even practice law in Texas because I hadn't taken the Texas bar. No. So really had no clue what I was doing, um, except that I was just so hungry for more of God. This and, is an Abraham moment. <laughs> yes. So, so here I am, you know, over six months, you know, I landed, and, and I heard the Lord kept saying, like, it's t- you need to land and, and settle in Brian Claus Station. It was like, why would I land in Brian College Station? I don't know what is even there. Um, 
But lo and behold, when I, I landed in Brian Call Station after about a week um, through another God series of events, somebody uh, told me about a church called Antioch. And the very first Sunday I attended at Antioch, they were um, announcing that as a church, they were going to start mobilizing local communities, national and international, just the church to actually fight this issue of human trafficking through this, through this avenue of Unbound. And I was like... I just wept because I knew I was like, God, this is why I'm here. I have no clue what my role is going to be. I don't know what, if I'm even going to have a part in Unbound, but I know that I know that I know that the church has been picked as part of your solution, part of your redemptive plan here on earth. And this church is doing it right. This church is actually making it a mission to fight one of the greatest injustices of this day through the church and I want to be part of it, you know? And so I was like, I'm so thankful. And so, um, so you know, that was seven years ago. And it really changed my life in a lot of ways because getting to become part of Antioch, I mean, it just changed my walk with God. It changed many things. But um, that was where Unbound started. And so for five years, I waited. I heard the Lord say that Unbound Brian Station was supposed to start and that I was supposed to be the person to do it. But for five years, um, God kept saying, wait. And mm. so a lot happened in those five years mm. that looking back now, I know, you know, God's timing is always perfect, but he was moving parts. It's like that song, the Waymaker song. It's like, mm. even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Um, and so there was all of these things over five years, relationships, equipping, training, things shifting in the community, people getting moved into places of leadership. He mm. was all preparing for five years ago when the Lord said, the time is now. And it's really so neat to see what, how that timing worked because when Unbound launched, it was like God had primed the pump. It was time. The community was ready. Yeah. There was some momentum building in the spirit, and it was like time to go. Wow. And so things have just really advanced quickly since then because I think the Lord just honored that weight. Because yes. there was many times it was like, I don't well, understand. Well, Andrew, yes. Yeah. Your yes to go. And, you know, and isn't that it? I mean, mm-hmm. isn't our co-laboring always about going when he says go and staying when he says stay and that you know that's no small thing that's hard and I tell people that all the time I'm like the yes I was like the no is just as courageous as the yes agreed well said I mean really it's truly I mean the no sometimes is the most courageous faith choice you can make because you want to strong arm it you know Mm -hmm. we're so content with our own self-sufficiency and it's just it never compares yeah yeah so that says that's how this the journey came Uh, and it's been incredible to just see the favor of God over unbound just the just the support from the community, the 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 unity that Unbound has brought, I feel like, to the community. Just, you know, the one thing that we can agree on, I mean, there's, I, I talk about this a lot, but there's so many injustices of our day. We all know that, and everybody wants to fight for a cause. And, mm-hmm. and so some people are like, well, human trafficking, it's, it's kind of the buzzword. And I say that, but, and I hear that, but like, what is so incredible about this trafficking situation is it honestly encompasses almost all of them in one. It's like, Mm. it's literally founded in the devaluing of human life. Mm. It involves domestic violence. It involves abortion. It involves substance abuse. It involves poverty. It involves racial discrimination. It involves cultural issues. It involves, I mean, it literally is an all encompassing thing. 
And so it's like God's heart is so about this issue. And that's why there's so much favor on it is because, you know, in Matthew 25, it says that Jesus identified with the most vulnerable and the exploited. Mm -hmm. And that's why I do this at all is because I get this opportunity when I'm sitting across from a woman who's been exploited in a jail cell or at a hotel room or at a hospital or in the police station, I'm actually getting to love Jesus in a way that I won't when I get to heaven. Mm. Cause when I get to heaven, mm-hmm. there isn't any more brokenness. There isn't any more mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. Everything's been made new. Mm-hmm. And so if Jesus identifies with the vulnerable and the exploited and the broken, mm-hmm. my chance is here on earth. Cause in heaven that won't be there. Yeah. And you hear, I've heard Mother Teresa say this quote a lot when she, in her ministry, when she would go and love the least of these, she'd be like, I see hungry Jesus, which is why I feed him. I see broken Jesus, which is why I hold him. I see, you know, and it's, it, that is the whole reason I do anything Mm -hmm. that I do is because when I love and serve these incredible women and men and boys and girls who've been exploited and suffered the most unimaginable, I am getting to love God in a way that I won't get to when I get to heaven. This is my time. You know, this is my chance. And so I want to do that. Um, And honestly, you know, I've talked about this too in other settings, but you know, there's there's all kinds of great entities that are doing really great things. But when Jesus, when he, when he led his ministry, Isaiah 61, it's actually titled the empowerment of the Messiah's ministry. And in that, it you know, talks about setting captives free and it talks about releasing prisoners from the darkness and it talks about, and so like that was actually what empowered Jesus to do his ministry. And what's so amazing about that is like as believers, as the church, as carriers of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 61 is actually the empowerment of our ministry. Hmm. So it's like, if we have that empowerment for our ministry, we should be able to set the captives free. We should be releasing prisoners from the darkness. We should be making beauty from ashes because we have that in us. And so that's why the church is the one that should be doing it. And that's thy kingdom come. That's thy kingdom come. Because not that government projects are great and other nonprofits are doing amazing things, but without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit... And, and how the Messiah really used that empowerment to do his ministry. I mean, that is the only way to make lasting restorative mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just a good idea Gosh. or a good project. That's right. Or a good concept. Right. Yeah, an experiment. But, an experiment. But like really good, forever lasting change, authentic, pure love is like is only by the empowerment of the Spirit. <sighs> so the church has got to do it. Girl, we've got to do it, right? I tell you what, God is always beautiful. He is especially beautiful through you, sister. You are a marvel. This town thanks you for your holy yes. You are a brave warrior, and I just could not be any more grateful to call you friend and sister. Tell us about Unbound's Night of Hope and um, the special guest. Yes, I'm so excited about Night of Hope. I hope all of you listeners will come. Um, So we had our first one last year. And really, it it was birthed out of a picture that the Lord had given me years ago before I even started Unbound, but just that Unbound was a unifier for our city, and that one day there would be a room where pretty much any every stakeholder from every sphere of influence in the community would be present. Hmm. Um, and last year was such a tangible 
answer to that prayer um, because there was um, law enforcement there, there was the DA there, there was the sheriff there, there was um, CPS and DFPS, and there were teachers there, there were nurses there, there were business owners, there were lawyers there, there was dentists there, there was stay-at-home moms, there was, you know, every single sphere of influence was present in this room to bring unity for freedom and healing for our community to say, not in my city, we're not going to tolerate this in my city. And so that's what's happening again this year. And the keynote speaker is what I'm so thrilled about because it's about what we've all talked about today. But her name is Centoya Brown. She was actually convicted. She's a convicted murderer. Um, She was charged with murdering her sex buyer when she was a teenager. So she was actually a teenage sex trafficking victim and her one of her buyers who responded to have sex with her um she because of all of the trauma because of everything that had happened over the course of her life again peeling all those layers back um when she was with this man at his home she was afraid that when he reached over on the other side of the bed that he was going to shoot her and so she grabbed the gun on the other side and shot him um, and she was a victim during that time, but she was a convicted murderer as, as a juvenile. And so there's some criminal implications about her story, which is very interesting as an attorney, just how the child welfare system, the, the juvenile justice system, how we criminalized um, her as it. And we, we actually tried her as an adult when she was a juvenile. So she was actually sentenced to life in prison. And the governor actually um, granted... Um, actually gave her her release yeah. um, in I followed this case closely I am so excited yes. to hear and her so, her story from her and just it's I think it's so powerful to just show when we give the opportunity for somebody to get a second chance yeah um, and that is what unbound is really is really doing mm-hmm. is we want to provide victims hope and a future for them to have their life back. Mm -hmm. And I think when we move away from criminalizing victims and we go towards empowering victims to share their story, to own their story, to change their life, this is the impact. Centoya represents the impact you can have um, of a life redeemed. And she found the Lord in prison. And so Unbound actually goes into the juvenile detention center twice a month and actually into the women's prison, into Brazos County Detention Center. And so it's so moving for me because it's like we're in we're in the prison system. We're in yeah. JJC. We're in, you yeah. know, these these arenas where normally the presence of God is it's kind of tried to be pushed out yeah. and we're actually getting invited in. Yeah. And, and so she actually experienced and found God mm-hmm. in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that even is encouraging for me with unbound of just us going in twice a month and, and working with these women and kids, yeah. um, in the jail is bringing the presence of God and bringing opportunity for change. Mm. And so that is what Centoya's story. I think it's going to be so powerful for our community. And so again, we'll have her share live. It's dinner, silent auction. But you're going to hear about things that Unbound has accomplished over the last year, just other survivors we've worked with. Um, and so it's just going to be an incredible night. So I hope everybody will come out. And it, uh, it continues to support the efforts of Unbound here in Bryan College Station. We've got lots of work to do as we expand our survivor advocacy program into the 2020 so that we can represent more victims and serve more um, survivors. And so um, it's important work because really all the money that gets um, collected from that night goes directly to serving survivors. Okay, remind us the date. March 26th. 
2020. It's a Thursday night. It's from 6 to 8.30 at the Texas A&M Hotel and Conference Center. So same place it was last year. Incredible venue. They're so generous. Um, so Well, the one who seeks to kill, steal, mm-hmm. and destroy is using people to do terrible things to our children mm-hmm. and to vulnerable people. And they have spent a lot of time and money and resources and thought to do it. And the very least that we could do is, is match that. And so mm-hmm. I just want to thank you, sister, for mm-hmm. helping leading us, helping us to do more. So the very least we could do is go to... It's Unbound Now. Night of Hope. Yes. Unbound now dot night of hope. Yes. And help you out and thank you for leading us. Yeah. We're so grateful. Thank, thank you, you so Allison. Much. Dear God. You are a strong tower in a mighty fortress, and we seek your divine protection for all who are exploited and enslaved. For those forced into labor or trafficked into sexual slavery, anyone who is denied dignity and freedom, release them from their chains, God. Protect them. Provide them a new beginning. Help your rescued children feel safe and allow them to begin to heal guard them from the people who seek to harm them. Your word shows us, God, that you bring new joy and hope where previously there was only shame and fear, and we ask this for our brothers and sisters who desperately need to know that they can be made new. Dear God, you demand justice for those who have been wronged. Please give strength to the people who investigate and prosecute traffickers, for people who work against this evil. Encourage us when we are weary in this work, Lord. You helped Moses and Aaron as they spoke boldly to Pharaoh on behalf of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. Help us also to speak up for modern-day slaves around the world. Help us to be understanding and compassionate toward their needs and help us to love them in the way that you love them. Give us the will, God, to make things better. Show us how we might end exploitation by addressing its root causes. And dear God, as we are taught to pray for our enemies, we lift up oppressors as well. We ask for a divine intervention on their hearts. Whisper your truth. Show up in their dreams. Remind them of your will for their life. Pierce their hearts, bind their wounds, and guide them home. Make us instruments of your spirit for their liberation also. For all of this, we pray through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Amanda Binger. Please head to unboundbcs.org to learn how you can help combat sex trafficking in this community, not in my city, and also consider attending Night of Hope in March. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Thank you to Kristen Kelly and Mary Bishop. For more of Mary's writing, head to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com. Center Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on patreon.com. Many episodes are 
now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.